This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Mastering Innovation on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Hello and welcome back. I'm Nikolai Zikolko, co-director of the Mac Institute and professor of management here at Wharton. And this is Mastering Innovation on Sirius XM's business radio powered by the Wharton School. Now, I'm very happy to introduce my next guest, Bob Condon. He is the president and CEO of Navex Global. Navex Global is a leading legal compliance software company. Uh, Bob joined the company in 2011 and he has been the CEO of Navex since 2014. Bob, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So, Bob, let's maybe start with the most basic question. What is legal compliance software? Well, it's it's actually – so we actually call it ethics and compliance of software. Okay, Nikolai. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so really what we're all about is helping companies uh, leverage our software to bring efficiencies to the processes that help them protect their people, their reputation, and their bottom line. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people – People can tend to be messy, as you know, yep. and so that's why companies have things like codes of conduct and various types of trainings. They have whistleblower hotlines and incident management systems. Um, they have policies. Um, they have uh, they have you know all of those types of um, needs. And in fact, the Department of Justice put out guidance that says you know this is what we expect companies to have in place in mm-hmm. order to. Uh, you know, avoid running into e- uh, issues and huge fines. And so what Navex does is we exist to provide those solutions to customers around the world. So mm-hmm. we've grown uh, since we formed about uh, six or seven years ago um, to be, you know, we've got over 13,000 customers around the world. Um, we're the world's largest provider of ethics and compliance solutions. Uh, those solutions do tend to be purchased by chief ethics and compliance officers, by general counsels, and so we're thought of as a legal solution in a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of cases. Um, and that so that's a little bit of background on our company. Yeah, I mean again, this is kind of a vast area, right? In, in terms of thinking about, uh, so there is conduct in the workplace, but there is also um, right compliance with regulations, right? Um, so does it encompass everything? Well, it, it's really around the people side of okay. compliance. If you think about, uh, there's a term of art out there that, that people tend to use. It's very loosely defined, but it's called governance, risk, and compliance, GRC. Mm-hmm. So we're really uh, very heavily involved in the governance side and the compliance side. Risk is very broad, and you know, risk can be like IT security risk. It can be like financial risk. Mm-hmm. It can be mm-hmm. employee health and safety. Uh, so we're not involved in that so much. But we're involved in everything uh, that you can think about to make sure that your employees are informed, trained, aware of the policies. Mm-hmm. You know, they they know what constitutes uh, you know adequate or uh, acceptable workplace behaviors, and uh, you know, around things like everything from you know anti harassment and bullying mm-hmm. to things like uh, you know bribery and anti corruption. Yeah. So. Again, firms always had to follow, right, kind of some of these rules and regulations. Uh, How does sort of this new technology help us to do this more efficiently or increase the likelihood that we actually comply? Is is that sort of the big benefit? Yeah, it's a really great question, Nikolai. One of the the big challenges for ethics compliance professionals and legal professionals is just keeping up with the sheer volume of compliance that comes out. Mm -hmm. Um, There's there's kind of a saying out there that legislators love to legislate Mm -hmm. and regulators love to regulate (laughs) and enforcers (laughs) love to enforce. And so, you know, that's that's good for us. And and in general, it's good for 
it's good for companies and the people that work there as well because you know these aren't meant to be iron-fisted things that prevent companies from growing or being successful in fact it's just the opposite companies that that leverage these solutions and companies that are considered to be you know high uh, high ethical uh, companies companies that comply mm-hmm. they generally have you know higher uh, higher growth rates and, and you know better revenue multiples and that type of thing yeah. so uh, it, it's good for business it's good for people uh, and I'll say for our employees, it's one of the things that I'm most proud of. Uh, whenever I greet new employees, and, and we do that, you know, all the time. But I love to say, you know, you could be out there making widgets, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with a widget maker. But you're here at Navix Global, and and you know, this is an altruistic uh, solution to some regards. I mean, we're we're capital, and we you know we want to make a profit, but we're also helping to make the world a better place mm-hmm. for you know literally millions of employees now. So it's it's a feel good. Story yeah. and yeah, you know, we attract those kind of people into our company. Yeah, no, and and you have this phrase that says, you know, we want to turn corporate compliance from a cost center into a valuable strategic asset, right? And I, I think that that's an interesting reframing, right? Because I would imagine in a lot of companies, um, compliance is seen as a well, we gotta have to do this, right? <laughs> it's just sort of again <laughs> a cost, right? That that is get imposed upon us. Uh, and uh, yeah. kind of an interesting reframing of, you know, if we do this well, this might actually be an advantage for us, right? That, that's exactly right. It, it's interesting. You know, we see a lot of customers out there who, um, you know, frankly are just checking a box. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, they know they have to have a whistleblower hotline or they, need, they know they have to have a code of conduct. And so they do the absolute bare minimum to cover those. And, and frankly, there are solutions that are cheaper and less, you know, um, uh, less, they have less strength and less uh, depth to them than, than us, and they can go get those solutions. But you know, we're a company that's really designed to, to for organizations that want to leverage um, compliance. They take it seriously. They want to build a culture of compliance and ethics, and and also companies that you know recognize that um, there is a there's a powerful penalty to be paid for getting this wrong. I mean, if, if you look across. You know, just some of the fines that have come down, um, you know, for things like data breaches or, I mean, Yahoo just got hit with a $900 million fine, you know, Rolls-Royce, $800 million, Theranos, you know, that, that whole yeah. concept of uh, Theranos was built fictitiously. There was no ethics there whatsoever, $700 million fine. So the return on investment is really, really strong. I can share with you, you know, one of our customers, um, and it's a major household name, uh, was hit with a $278 million fine. Um, and so they ended up, they weren't a customer, they ended up buying our whole suite of products. But about the same time that they had an issue, and their issue was really around bribery, uh, mm-hmm. foreign bribery, we had another customer who was using our solutions that had almost the same thing. One of their agents was bribing a foreign official. Well, uh, this first company didn't have any of the adequate you know, procedures and, and policies in place, and they ended up with a $278 million fine from the Department of Justice. And the other one who did have those policies in place got a, a, just a little over a million-dollar fine, so mm. still substantial, but mm-hmm. nowhere near at the same scale. Yeah. And uh, in addition, they didn't have to live with, uh, you know, somebody sitting on their board for the next three years as a monitor. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, you just mentioned this, right, sort of if you have multinational companies, right, do these firms have different rules, different standards in different parts of the world? And you keep track all of all of that within within the software? That, that's absolutely right. Um, so you you take, for example, whistleblower hotlines, which are one of the mm-hmm. you know, key requirements in almost every uh, geographic location. Uh, in fact, you know, Italy in December just passed uh, what they call the Whistleblower Act uh, 179 that requires companies to provide 
um, you know, an anonymous whistleblower hotline and they have anti-retaliation policies. Um, and so when you look across all the various geographic areas in the countries and the laws, some countries allow anonymity, others don't. Mm-hmm. Some allow anonymity around certain issue types like harassment, but not around other things like uh, like bribery or um, or you know, some kind of, any kind of uh, financial malfeasance. So our system kind of tracks all those, and we make sure that our companies uh, are, you know, operating in compliance with the local um, rules and regulations of whatever geographic area they're in. Yeah. Uh, so who drives this within organizations? Um, you, know, you just had some examples of firms that adopted these systems. Is it the top management? Is it the board of directors? Uh, who, who, who tends to be the driver of this? So, so again, I'd go back to the companies that do it right yeah. and the companies that do it wrong. Okay. The companies that do it right, it, it's almost always toned from the top. And, uh-huh. again, if you go back to the Department of Justice's guidelines or over in the U.K., there's uh, you know, things like the, um, the U.K. Bribery Act that came out and SAPENDU in France. And all of those require the, – the very first thing they say is you know, there's got to be a tone from the top. This can't just be a check-the-box type mm-hmm. of thing. And so that means the board needs to be involved. The executives need to be involved. There needs to be a wide distribution of whatever you know, the solution happens to be so that people have access to it. They actually have to uh, advertise that access. So you know, you can't just have a whistleblower hotline and not have anybody know what that phone number is, or you can't just have a code of conduct and not have some way for you know, people to read it or download it. Um, you, you have to have some way of tracking that people have read it and attested to it. Mm-hmm. So um, we're typically – it's driven by uh, a chief compliance officer or a general counsel, and those people typically report you know, up to the CEO and into the board. Mm-hmm. In fact, really good boards, organizations that do this well, will at least you know, once a year and sometimes twice a year at their quarterly board meetings actually have the chief compliance officer come in to a separate section where the CEO is not in there and talk about you know, things like corporate culture and compliance and issues that have, have arisen. Um, and that, and that you know, lends a, a, a level of governance to the organization that others just don't practice. Yeah. In case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Mastering Innovation on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Nikolai Zikoko, and my guest is Bob Collin of uh, Navex Global. And so we're talking right now about ethics, compliance, and, and software and how this can help us. Um, from the data that you've collected, you have just amazing insights, right, in what's going on in organizations. Uh, so in one of your recent reports, you shared the following finding. Uh, you found that 44% of these sort of 900,000 claims that were reported via employee hotlines you know, proved correct. Uh, and that was sort of up from 40% in the prior year. I mean, first of all, you know, as a social scientist, I'm just, you know, amazed by this wonderful data that you have, <laughs> you know, having access to 2,000 firms and 900,000 data points. But uh, so maybe first question, uh, so what are the main topics that, that come up in these claims? So if you have 900,000 claims last year, um, what, what kind of, how does this group? Yeah, and, and so we call them issue types, and, and that's typically mm-hmm. what our customers refer yep. to. Type. And I, I think the most common types of issue types um, have to do with um, either workplace behavior, okay. which, is, which is always really important, um, general compliance issues, and then employment law issues tend to come up a lot. And so, um, you know, there are a lot of a lot. Of, we'll get a lot of uh, calls or reports that come in, and you know, we we take in literally over a hundred thousand reports a month. Mm. About fifty-seven percent of those reports come in via, you know, um, 
company-specific, what we call web reporting sites, and the rest come into our contact center where we have trained contact center operators that you know follow a very uh, a very close script. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so we we see that those reports are typically around those types of issues. So somebody will be complaining that they've been you know harassed, um, you know sexual harassment or retaliation or uh, you know something along those lines, or they'll complain that. Uh, they might be reporting, for example, that somebody is bribing uh, an official or that there's um, uh, you know, some kind of malfeasance or beha- behavior related to bribery or corruption. Mm-hmm. Um, there could be you know, any kind of financial um, improprieties. Uh, those are reported fairly often. So those are the kind of things that happen. Um, you know, the, the issue that happened at Penn State years ago mm-hmm. uh, came into our hotline. You know, that was an issue that, that uh, obviously caused a lot of concern. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know, that was first reported as a whistleblower hotline uh, issue. Hmm. So, so you are running the hotlines for these firms, and then you move the the information back to the firm. Is that? That's right. So the information comes in uh, in whatever format. It either comes yep. in via the uh, contact center or via web report, and you know, and it, it comes in specific to each one of our you know thirteen thousand plus customers. And this is just for you know one portion of what we do. Obviously, mm-hmm. we have solutions that do a lot else. And then uh, what we do is um, they go through an automated software that that looks for um, and makes sure that there's no party. Uh, on the distribution list that might have been mentioned in the uh, mm-hmm. in the report. So, for example, you could be the head of HR, but you know you could mm-hmm. have harassed somebody. Well, you don't want to get that report, right? So we'll yeah. do that. We'll do that. We distribute it back to them electronically, uh, and then we have this incident management system that enables them to assign that report to an investigator, mm-hmm. have that investigator uh, validate that report, uh, and then even to the person who reported it, they're given a, a report key. And there can be a, uh, an anonymous and uh, and safe communication vehicle between the, the investigator and the reporter. If the reporter has any follow-up questions or wants more detail, they're able to post it onto the site, and uh, the reporter is alerted to it, and they put in their key, and they're able to respond and protect their anonymity. Yeah. So the whole system is automated. It great. It brings great efficiency, and um, you know it's it's a it's a cultural thing, right? If if we talk to companies who want to know about these types of things, and then we also talk to companies who just want to check the box and they hope nobody ever calls. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. it's an important distinction. Yeah, yeah. So so who re- um, decides kind of whether this was a correct um, request or, or complaint or not? So that's like the or investigator then in the, in, the, in the organization? Yeah, so we call them substantiated reports. Uh-huh. So, you know, who decides that? It's typically the investigator. Mm-hmm. And, you know, c- companies of sc- of any size and scale have, you know, professional investigators, yeah. and that's what they do. You know, they, mm-hmm. they spend all of their time investigating these types of reports. In fact, one of the issues that companies run into uh, sometimes when they when they release a new hotline or, you know, maybe they acquire a new business that, that – previously didn't have access to something like this and reports start coming in and they don't have enough investigators to investigate them. So they'll actually contract with outside parties, typically law firms and things like that to help with their investigations. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So another interesting finding that I thought that I came out of your data was that you found that organizations that had documented reports from all other methods, not just web-based, but all other methods like you know, walk-in and manager submission and letters and direct emails, they captured like 58% more reports, right, that organizations that collected reports only through the web and the hotline channels. So it sounds like not, not everyone is a web-native yet, right? Is that the <laughs> conclusion? That's right. It, it's yeah. a really, really important point, though, if you think about it. Um, if, you, if you're a mid-level manager and somebody walks into your, uh, into your office and says, hey, you know, I think this sales rep is bribing this guy or mm-hmm. maybe taking a kickback 
if if the manager doesn't know what to do with that, if there's no vehicle for him to report that or her to report that, then those those are issues that never rise to the top. And yeah. and yeah, you know, the chief compliance officer and the general counsel and the CEO and even the board, they need to know about that. Mm-hmm. If that bribery then hits the market, you know, and, and think about the Walmart bribery scandal that mm-hmm. happened years yep. ago yep. and you know, they, they lost millions of dollars in, in valuation in just a matter of days. You know, I can guarantee you that they wish they had known about that ahead of time, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So, so that's what that report is alluding to. Many sophisticated companies are now recognizing that just having a whistleblower hotline isn't enough. They have to have what many companies refer to them as um, open door report forms. So yeah. they, they train all of their managers that when somebody comes in reports something, go onto your uh, onto your laptop or your computer. You know, bring up this app, fill in the information, hit send, and mm-hmm. our investigators will follow it up in our yeah. system. Interesting. Yeah. No, I, I mean, because there is, of course, this tendency always to say, well, we'll kind of rely all on digital, right? And everyone will just go to a web page and do it. And I think that's sort of an interesting reminder, right? You know, particularly when it comes probably to these issues that an all technological solution is probably not the best solution, right? That, that's right. And you know, what we train our people on, especially the people that are responsible uh, in our contact centers for taking these calls, is there's almost 100% certainty that before somebody has before somebody is so frustrated or so upset that they call a hotline they they almost for sure have talked to somebody else and they feel like they're not being heard or mm-hmm. not yeah mm-hmm. that's not being validated that concern and so then they call a hotline and in fact you know i i have to give a lot of credit to our uh, contact center operators um, when you listen to these calls you know sometimes people are screaming mm-hmm. you know they're so yeah. mad sometimes they're crying uh, they're so frustrated and it's it's a very you know challenging thing and so you know, had had there been a vehicle for their initial report to be have been filed and investigated and followed up upon, it may have never you know risen to that level. Yeah, yeah. So what yeah. what are some other kind of interesting insights that you've derived from having now access to all of to all of this data? So we've talked so far about sort of these um, you know number of issues that that get actually reported and that turn out to be <laughs> uh, problematic, uh, and uh, kind of this idea about not all digital is is, is the best solution. What what are some other interesting insights? Well, particularly this year, uh, Nikolai, one of the biggest insights that we've seen is the um, dramatic increase in reports related to uh, sexual harassment, mm. and 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 it's really you know it's really charming, uh, it's really alarming to think about, you know, the scope. I mean, almost every day for the last you know what six or eight months, you read about yep. yet another you know and now it's Charlie Rose, right? I mean, yep. it, it was Matt Lauer, it was uh, Weinstein, it was Uber, you know, whomever. And and um, this it's just alarming to think of this egregious and really morally repugnant workplace behavior going on, and so uh, we and, and I think the Me Too movement and uh, you know the Times Up movement they have helped empower and emboldened people to um, to speak up and have their voice be heard, and uh, and I think there's also just a more general awareness that that kind of behavior is just not okay, mm-hmm. and and so so we've seen a, a dramatic increase in that, and I think we've also seen. Um, in response to that, that that harassment. In fact, you know, we we have something. Uh, we have an initiative that we call "You Can't Delegate um, Ethics," mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and the issue there is, you know, you can't you can't just send that to HR and hope it gets taken care of. Mm-hmm. It's got to be a board level, executive level um, topic that's addressed and and is taken incredibly seriously. And again, you think about the reputational and financial damage to these organizations that have had this happen. It, you know, if yeah. you look at the return on investment of you know, putting some time and effort into building a true culture of compliance mm-hmm. and, and strong ethics and, and to have a zero tolerance, uh, 
policy yeah, in place yeah, related uh-huh. to these kind of things. You know, it, it, it just it's goodness across the board. Yeah. Now, I also found it interesting that, that you're thinking it's beyond the borders of the firm, right? Sort of you're saying, look, you know, you probably also want to be a little bit uh, concerned about who you're connecting with throughout your entire supply chain. So can you tell us a little bit about that's that? Right. Uh, that part. Sure. Yeah. You know, it, one of the things that's really interesting, is, especially as it relates to the Foreign Corrupt uh, Practices Act, the FCPA, that the largest fines out there, and you, you, you know, you look at ZRE Corporation, nine hundred million. You know, Rolls Royce paid eight hundred million. Uh, Tima Pharmaceutical was like five hundred twenty million, something like that. These fines are all related to behaviors not of their employees, but mm-hmm. of their suppliers, yeah. and agents, and and um, folks like that. And so. You know, it does almost no good to have to build any kind of a culture of compliance in your own organization and then work with um, organizations that don't share the same culture. And yeah. so it's important to make sure you extend that. And so uh, another key thing that organizations need to do is uh, they need to have a kind of a risk uh, approach um, to accepting who they're going to do business with and then a way to monitor those businesses over time such that if you know something happens, if something pops up in the newspaper in South Korea – uh, you know about a bribery scandal involving your South Korean distributor. You need to know that that happened, and so you want uh, a software system that picks that up, alerts you to it, and then you determine whether what happened you know, rises to the level that you need to uh, part ways with yeah. that partner or that agent. Right. Absolutely fascinating. Well, Bob, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Uh, it was really great. Well, it's my pleasure. I, I really appreciate the uh, the invitation. And no. I really enjoy the show too. I've had yeah. a chance to listen to some. Oh, of these great. And, uh, uh, just plug that I have a couple of Wharton grads on my staff. So uh, uh, Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. Thank you. Well, unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. Uh, thank you all so much for joining us uh, and listening in. If you have a question about something you heard on today's show, please email us at uh, businessradio at SiriusXM.com and please be sure to follow our show at, on Twitter at BizRadio111. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 